Hey everyone, it's Greg Campion here. Welcome to another episode of Intentional Wisdom. I am so fired up about today's episode featuring Mac Lackey. Mac founded and successfully sold six businesses over the last 25 years, from a soccer-based social media platform to a consumer apparel company. Today, Mac is at it again. He is launching a new sports-based NFT project, which he thinks has the potential to revolutionize the way that sports teams interact with their fans. You know, I thought Mac was the perfect person, really, to come on the show to help demystify the world of Web3 and NFTs and to help us sort of visualize how this technology might begin to show up in our actual day-to-day lives. This episode is brought to you by Intentional Wisdom, the newsletter. That's my newsletter. Would you like to receive one email every other week with a practical strategy to improve your career, your habits, your motivation, your physical and mental health? Well, if so, make sure to subscribe to Intentional Wisdom, the newsletter. I would love for you to join this growing community of smart and curious readers. You can find the newsletter at gregcampion.substack.com or click on the link in the show notes. All right, enough shameless self-promotion. Here is my conversation with Mac Lackey. All right, Mac Lackey, welcome to the Intentional Wisdom Podcast. Happy to be here. Psyched to have you here. Um, And I'm excited about this topic, excited to talk about NFTs and Web3, Um, excited to talk about, you know, all the opportunity that you're seeing here. Um, and, uh, and I, maybe before we get into that, I, I think it would be helpful to give our audience just a little bit of background on you and who you are and, and, uh, and some of the really impressive things that you've done in your career. And it's funny, I was thinking back Mac on how long I've known you personally. And I was thinking, gosh, it's probably about 10 years now. And then I looked back in my old email uh, box and I saw that you and I had a conference call set up in 2009. So apparently I've been hassling you for <laughs> like 13 years now. So uh, like maybe if you could give our listeners just a little bit of background on, on kind of what you've been up to in your very impressive career for the last you know, 25 sure. years or yeah, so. Yeah, thanks. thanks again for having me. So I, I think of my life in two big buckets, um, life for me growing up was all about soccer. That was my passion. I was very fortunate to uh, play at a pretty high level, uh, got an opportunity to travel a lot to play soccer, went to college on a scholarship, uh, played at a a top D1 school in the ACC, and then uh, played one year professionally after college in the newly formed uh, USL, and that was before MLS. And so kind of checked off a lot of my goals and dreams around soccer, um, but that was a big part of my life. And then um, I really didn't know what I was going to do for a career. I was a psychology major. I had really never thought about business. And uh, in the Mm -hmm. first quarter of 1995, um, a longtime collaborator of mine and I started our first business together. And so I, you know, I got my start effectively just after Netscape launched the commercial web browser. We launched an Internet company. So uh, the highlight reel would basically say, you know, from that moment in uh, first quarter of 95 um, up until today, uh, 25 years as an entrepreneur, I started, scaled up and exited six companies, um, had a million mistakes, a lot of dumb decisions, but, um, <laughs> but I had some really, really fortunate um, outcomes along the way. You know, those six exits to pretty early in my 20s. 
that set sort of a tone and, and I fell in love with startups. So that's basically what I've done over the past uh, 25 plus years. Yeah. Wow. I, I was looking back at your resume. So it's, it's, it's really incredible all the businesses that you've started and sold along the way. So in touch interactive started in 95, sold in 98, uh, internet soccer.com started in 99, sold in 2000, uh, Eton group started in 2000, sold in 2003 mountain khakis, which seems different than all the other ones, which is like a, a consumer apparel, uh, company, uh, 2003 started, sold in 2010, started Kick, which was, uh, I would describe that probably as a Web2 uh, company, a soccer-based social media platform started in 2011, sold in 2016, and started ISL Football in 2012, sold in 2018. You've been busy for 25 years, Max. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a really, really fun journey. And uh, I think the, the highlight for me is having the opportunity uh, to work on things I love. You know, I've been really having yeah. fun. There's, again, plenty of mistakes and a lot of stress, but the subject matter, as you rattle those off, yeah. are things that I really enjoyed working on. So it's been it's been great. That's really cool. So um, I'm not going to do justice to your uh, very impressive background in this podcast. And what I'm going to do is actually link back to some other podcasts where you've probably gone deeper on your background. Um, selfishly, I'm kind of very interested in the present and, and the future uh, as well, um, specifically as it relates to Web3 and NFTs. And I know it's an area that you've kind of recently just kind of dove into the deep end on. So I want to hear about that. And then maybe ultimately what, I, what I'd like to do by the end of this conversation is uh, help people figure out, especially if they haven't, you know, done the work to really get up to speed themselves yet on NFTs or Web3 and all these uh, acronyms uh, and new buzzwords are confusing to them. I'd love to help people sort of get started on the right foot in terms of bringing themselves up uh, up to date from an education standpoint. So, but why don't we talk about, you know, this very impressive career, where you kind of were a year or two ago and where you thought you were going to be going from a career direction uh, from this point forward, and then maybe how that's changed with the advent of a lot of this new technology that we're we're seeing. Yeah, it's now. a great question. So, as you as you mentioned, I sold what effectively was my last kind of startup company in 2018. And I sold it to my my partners in a hedge fund, and in my mind, that was really um, kind of my exit event. You know, I thought I was yeah. going to be not retired, you know, I don't like to play golf. I'm not a lay on the beach kind of guy, but I thought I would really be focused on, um, continue to focus on family, but also just really helping other people. And so I had started yep. a little program to mentor founders and, and entrepreneurs called Exit DNA. And I really imagined doing that until literally about this year, because my oldest dollar daughter is in college. My youngest is going to go in the fall. My wife and I have a lot of, uh, you know, plans for travel and adventure. And uh, so that's kind of where I mm -hmm. thought I would be. And yeah. if you would have asked me two years ago, would I start another company? I would have said, absolutely not. I want to co-invest. I want to <laughs> help people. I want to, you know, but I just am not yeah. going to start a net new company. Right. It may just be so ingrained in your genes at this point, though, Mac, that you yeah, can't resist. That's probably fair. Uh, but I, I really did have what I would almost call 
an epiphany kind of moment where a lot of things that I've been thinking about and, and care about had all kind of converged at the same time. And, um, yeah. and that's what really led me to where I am today, which is ha made, having made the decision to go not only, you know, back into starting something, but going deep. I feel like I'm, you know, mm. kind of all in uh, for the first time in, in quite a while. And, and that's because I believe that my career, if you look back over those 25 years, I had a lot of really, really fun times, a lot of really good outcomes. I was very blessed and fortunate. However, there was a very specific time in 95, 96, 97, um, when I felt like my partners and I were seeing something that all the smart people around me were not seeing. And it was a weird feeling. And yeah. at that time, I thought, okay, I'm a kid. You know, I'm just out of college. I'm probably naive. People were certainly telling me I was naive. Um, but we thought the internet and e-commerce were going to change everything. And we went to meeting after meeting where people were like, hey, you guys, you know, this is a fad and nobody's going to put their credit card on the internet and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, long story short, um, about a year, year and a half ago, I had that same feeling for the first time, which is Web3, holistically speaking, the stuff that I'm seeing happen, I feel like I see a very clear path into the future and I'm looking around and people aren't seeing it. And it's not that they're not talking about NFTs and blockchain. They are. People, it's buzzwords. It's cocktail party yeah. conversations. The true business opportunity, mm -hmm. I don't think people are yet embracing it. And I thought, you know what? This is my, this is probably the only other time in my life that I'm going to have that zeitgeist moment where I'm early. I see it. I'm very clear. I'm very convicted. And so that's kind of what pulled me back in. I saw something that you had written kind of expressing that same sentiment and that excitement and that, that idea that maybe you hadn't seen a, uh, a kind of a clear runway like this since those early days, 95, 96 uh, time. And, and that my ears really perked up. I mean, I, I had already been doing a decent bit of work just trying to educate myself and probably starting about a year ago. Uh, and I wrote a piece that was really to help me collect my own thoughts just on uh, what NFTs are and um, some of the value they could potentially help unlock. Now let's define our terms for uh, for some of the folks who may be less familiar. So you've mentioned Web3 once or twice. Uh, how would you kind of define that? So yeah, it's a, it's a fair question in terms of definitions. The way I think about it, which is probably uh, not as descriptive, but you know, Web 1 was the early Internet. It was kind of the, the launch of the commercial Internet. Web 2, as it's been sort of classified, was the social web, where we started seeing Facebook and LinkedIn and all these things that connected us as humans in a social framework. That was really Web 2. Web 3 is all about um, participation, in my mind. It's, it's a new opportunity to own, control, and participate in assets and opportunities that you just didn't have access to before. So I think about Web3 as, as the very significant next iteration of um, technology and kind of the internet, if you will. It's the, it's the future internet in my mind.
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that ownership uh, point is really critical. So I think it's, I think Chris Dixon from A16Z has a, has a framework that's really simple to remember, which is like web one was read. So you think about, okay, you know, AOL and websites like that, you weren't, there wasn't a lot of interaction you're going on and just reading whatever's posted there. Um, web two was to your point, the more social element. So it's read and write. So it's like, okay, now communities can form and people can share with each other and all that. And then maybe, and then web three, I think he's got read, write, own. And so web three is, okay, how does, how do you actually own a piece of this? And, you know, one way to think about it is if you, you've got all these social platforms that were the kind of darlings of web two, which were Twitter and Facebook and all these companies, right? And those companies have done extraordinarily well, um, but the vast, vast majority of the economic pie has accumulated to them. The idea or the hope or the vision of Web3 is instead of users going on platforms like this and you know sharing their ideas in, in exchange for likes, they are owning, having some ownership in their own That's exactly content. Right. Would you agree no, with that? I think that's exactly right. And it's another way a lot of people sort of talk about it and think about it is is centralized. So Facebook and, and Twitter and all those are centralized organizations yep. that yep. control everything versus Web3, which is decentralized or distributed. So the ownership and controls instead of one corporation are to the universe effectively and all the participants. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Okay. One more definition I'm going to ask you for NFTs. So we're going to talk a little bit about NFTs or a lot about NFTs. How, how, how do you kind of yeah, frame so, up NFTs? So NFT stands for non-fungible token. And, um, and to me, I think of an NFT is a one of one, something that is absolutely unique. It is the only one that ever exists on the earth. Um, and it exists in a technology framework. So it is a digital asset but there's only one of them. And so unlike Bitcoin, which a lot of people talk about as a cryptocurrency, you know, one Bitcoin is just like the next. If you own one and, you know, Mac owns one and Greg owns one, they're the same thing. We both have a Bitcoin. Yep. But yep. an NFT, if I own it, Greg can't own it. I'm the only owner. Um, there's only one of them. So a lot of it is, is, you know, in my mind, a unique digital asset. Yep, yep. I think that's a great way to describe it. Also, um, as a kind of a digital record on a blockchain. So similar to you mentioned Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies are, uh, you know, built on top of blockchains. Uh, same thing with, uh, with NFT. But the, obviously, as you say, the big difference is one is fungible, one is non-fungible, hence right. the name. Uh, the marketing folks have not gotten the, a hold of NFTs <laughs> yet, I don't think. I think. Correct. I think Web3 Web three is some pretty good branding. NFTs, I think, probably still needs to, some work. Um, okay, so you mentioned about a year, year and a half ago, you started getting really interested in the space, seeing that something special is going on here. Um, what was your first kind of personal entree into this world? I'm interested, like, did you start putting money to work? Did you start buying NFTs, minting NFTs? What's your experience been like? Thankfully, in hindsight, um, one of the things I did very early, 2014, 2014, 2015, is I I started buying Bitcoin. And so I was early. early. I bought my first Bitcoin at $200 a coin. Um, And so, you know, in hindsight, I didn't buy near enough. But really, for me, it was... (laughs) I wanted to understand it. I just wanted to just see what was happening. There was no, 
vision or concept in my mind. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't have that much uh, foresight. It was just, it looked interesting. I wanted to understand it. So I'd had some light exposure yep. to cryptocurrencies and the power of this kind of distribution um, for a number of years. But really, it was a, um, I was reading about some art um, and an artist and how the artist had created these NFTs um, around their work. And what really stood out to me was had nothing to do with the art or nothing to do with the collectible, but it was the fact that once that NFT was sold, the artist got 10% of the proceeds. And if the NFT was sold again and again and again, he would continue to participate in the future success of his art. Yep. Unlike a Picasso, which, you know, the first time it was sold, Picasso got 100% of the proceeds. But if it sells to someone tomorrow for $100 million, Picasso mm -hmm. or his heirs get zero. Yep. And so that right. idea of participation back to an artist was very much the aha moment for me that, you know, led to all these different faults, um, which I'm happy to talk about where it's taken me. But that was the real pivotal moment where mm -hmm. everyone mm -hmm. kept talking about art and collectibles and candidly, I think it's cool and neat, but I could care less about art and yeah. collectibles. <laughs> I was seeing the underlying utility and opportunity associated with that contract that says I own an asset and I can wire it into the contract that for the end of eternity, if this asset is sold or moves, I don't have to know who it's sold to. It's on the blockchain and I'm going to get paid. And I thought, wow, that's going to change everything. I think so too. That, that really struck me as well. And I think, you know, it's funny you, you mentioned, you know, around the art, I think that I think there's still a perception out there that this is people buying really overpriced JPEGs and all that kind of stuff. And certainly there is an element of that, but I agree with you. I think it's, it's not necessarily about the, the crypto punks or the board apes or, you know, especially some of these that have that are, have gone for millions of dollars and people are just like, this is crazy. This is a bubble. Uh, it probably is. There probably is a, ma a massive hype cycle going on and there will probably be a lot of money made and a lot of money lost. Uh, but I think I agree with you. I think that the underlying technology and especially that point that you just made around basically what it, what, a, what amounts to royalty streams. So what you have is, you know, with these NFTs, you're, they're essentially smart contracts and you can, pro and they're programmable in any way you, you see fit. So one way is one manifestation of that is uh, a piece of art, as you said, said that you know continues to get sold over time. But you know, uh, other areas are taking off just as much, and, and there's a lot of parallels with the music uh, industry and what's kind of happened there, and how royalties have have uh, have traditionally worked. And you have a lot of um, artists now um, coming out with you know NFT albums and things like that but it's the same sort of thing so um that i love that feature of it as well that that's really interesting uh to me um how about in terms of like you know just getting there getting in there and getting your hands dirty like did you make any <laughs> silly mistakes in terms of like you know buying things and sending money down black holes or anything I, like that i have been uh you know i i would say the biggest challenge thus far of this whole category is it is truly so early that it is an engineer's game. You know, what is not yeah. happening yet, or it's slowly happening, I should say, 
is the, the UI UX to make it easy for an average person to buy something, sell something, transfer something. Yep. So to answer your question, I have tiptoed into, you know, some of the, the more technically challenging things for me. Like I, I have a bias towards, you know, although I know how to use MetaMask and Uniswap and all these various platforms, to me, those are, those give me anxiety versus if I want to buy a cryptocurrency on Coinbase, it's very simple. Yep. It's just like buying a stock or buying a bond. And so yep. a lot of yep. what I have done um, is trying to balance risk by saying, I'm going to still use the path of least resistance to purchase assets, whether it's NFTs or cryptocurrencies, but mm -hmm. I'm going to spend a little bit of time consistently challenging myself in a low risk way. So not a lot of money, um, but using Uniswap to purchase something, using MetaMask to, you know, mint or to buy and sell assets. And so, you know, I was doing that this morning. I was picking up some, some, uh, some NFTs and, you know, it's still quirky, you know, sending yeah. Ethereum to MetaMask yeah. and making sure you get it in your wallet and then going to OpenSea or wherever you're going. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. it is very high risk, especially I would be the first to admit, I am not a detail oriented person and details matter, like double checking your addresses, double checking what you're doing. Yes. So, so yes. I have not thankfully yet made any huge mistakes, but that's because I've yeah. really try to manage risk on things that I'm not yet comfortable with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, so I totally agree on the UX uh, or user experience point. I mean, I think it, it just feels very, very early days. And I think that's good and it's bad. It's like um, uh, in terms of the, well, the bad points are obvious. It's it's just harder to use. You got, you know, people who are more technical or a little, or have an advantage. It's easier to lose money and make dumb mistakes. I've done it myself. Um, and, but I guess from the positive side, you know, you, you have more experience than me for sure with this, but when things are quirky and clunky and don't quite work yet, there's probably still a heck of a lot of money to be made in the space, right? It's, there's a lot. No, of that's exactly right. I mean, I, I, to some degree, I'm very excited about what you're doing because it's, I feel compelled to shout from the rooftops to my friends and people I care about that, like, you need to be in this space precisely because of what you just said, which is if you're early, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You don't have to be the most technical person in the room. There's so much alpha and margin when it's this early. As long as you're kind of in the right church, you don't have to be in the right pew yet, right? You don't have to do the precise thing. And that's going to change over time. Yep. I'm convinced yep. that two years from now, just like everything else, when it matures, you've got to be really good and you got to be really, you know, smart and really focused. But today you mm -hmm, just need to be mm -hmm. in the space. And I think there's a lot of opportunity. Right. Yeah. 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 That makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've kind of, my journey has been somewhat similar to yours, although not as early. So I, I probably started in 2017 or so getting a little bit involved in Bitcoin and Ethereum and a couple of the kind of well-known uh, tokens out there uh, and then, you know, watched it go through uh, what they call a crypto winter. So I kind of <laughs> didn't look at the Coinbase account for a few years, which is probably a good way to do it. Um, and then maybe a year ago, started getting interested in in NFTs. And so I've kind of played around with a couple of things. One, I was in, well, one, I bought my um, ENS uh, 
address, which is essentially like an identifier on the Ethereum uh, blockchain. It's almost similar to like getting yourname.com or your name at Gmail or whatever, um, kind of a stake in the sand on that blockchain. So I bought that. That was pretty straightforward. Um, I participated in the Constitution DAO, which was an interesting little social experiment where a group of people came together and formed a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization, to try to buy a a copy of the actual U.S. Constitution that was up for sale, I think, at Sotheby's. Um, ultimately, the group failed, raised a bunch of money, millions of dollars, but ultimately failed to buy it. But that was an interesting little experiment for me, just in terms of like connecting the dots, and you know, I had to go on a Discord channel and this and that. And I was like, oh god, I don't even, I don't even know anything yeah. about Discord. Um, and the and at one point. Uh, this will tell you how early like the UX is like there was one button that said redeem and then one button that said something else. And I hit, I hit, it wasn't obvious to me. And I feel like, okay, I'm like reasonably technology savvy. I don't know. Like, but it wasn't obvious to me which button to hit. So I hit one. And apparently the one that I hit sends your, <laughs> sends your uh, coin. It's like this coin called people coin sends it to a, they call a black hole on the blockchain. Now, if you don't know what that is, it's exactly what you, it sounds like. It's a black hole. It's a, you don't ever see that back, cryptocurrency yeah. <laughs> again. So now one question I had was, okay, well, why is one of the two buttons that you might hit send it to a place where you could never, no one could ever access yeah. it again? So, uh, but I, I chalked that up to like ex, experience and, and, you know, I was listening, you, you turned me on to, uh, Kevin, Kevin Rose, who's a really great thinker in the space. He's got a, I think he's got he two does, different yes. podcasts, uh, now yeah uh is one modern right. finance yep. is that right modern finance and then and proof. one is proof. right yeah so I, I was listening to him and he was saying look uh, you know his recommendation was kind of like uh, if you want to learn about the space there's no better way to do it than like you know take a couple hundred bucks and just start messing around with stuff and you know get a get a wallet um you know whether you do it through coinbase or metamask or whatever and then go on to like one of the big exchanges, biggest one out there probably is OpenSea, and just try to buy something, try to participate in one of these things yep. and see what happens. You may lose a little bit of money like I did, uh, but you uh, but you gain some valuable experience. And then the other um, one that I participated in was uh, I actually was in a an auction for an NFT recently that was uh there's a guy named uh jim o'shaughnessy who's like a really well-known guy in the finance twitter world he owns a business called uh, o'shaughnessy asset management and anyways he's got a he has a podcast and all this stuff but he commissioned a an artist to put uh to create a really cool piece of art um they have a kind of a funny thing with uh o'shaughnessy asset management where like you you know you're the in crowd if they if you get one of their like patagonia uh fleece vests so they had the artists like basically create a an a artistic representation of the osam vest and like i thought okay well that's pretty cool but i probably wouldn't you know spend a bunch of money just to have that and you know as my profile picture or whatever but interestingly and this is something i want to talk to you about is they attached a real world benefit to it so he's got a really popular podcast called infinite loops and he said okay whoever buys this nft whoever wins this nft auction will co-host an episode of infinite loops with me right. and pick the guest and i was like that would be awesome i was i was very intrigued by that so i ended up bidding and got into a bidding where i ultimately lost um but the 
Uh, it was a fun experience, even just figuring out like, okay, I had to bid in wrapped ETH instead of regular ETH. So I had to convert ETH to wrapped ETH, right? So there's a lot of like non-obvious things that are going on there. But anyways, that was that was a fun, uh, a fun experience. So anyways, long story short, I guess still early, still clunky, but that means Absolutely. opportunity, right? I think that's right. Okay, so let's talk about um, let's talk about opportunity and let's talk about what you're doing specifically. So you are setting up a new business. Tell me about it and tell me tell me what the the vision is. So yeah, the the real fast backstory on this one. I mentioned you know I had this kind of epiphany moment um, where I I was thinking about the 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 um, the fact that it's transparent. You can see you know who owns the asset. The smart contract, as you mentioned, kind of controls the revenue streams. And I, it, I really went back to a moment when I was living in Barcelona. My family and I moved abroad. We moved to Barcelona. And after we got, you know, got our house and we got the kids in school, my next top priority was getting season tickets to FC Barcelona. And so um, <laughs> that process is um, broken in every way you can imagine. You know, there's a 100,000-person mm -hmm. waiting list, which is generation-long, basically. Um, so wow. it's technically impossible. So... Uh, I immediately went to the black market, paid cash for amazing seats. Um, but what happened is every single time I walked into a match, I was walking in with what looked like a passport, a, a physical hard kind of um, entrance. The season pass had a picture of yep. someone 25 years older than me. My little girls were walking in with you know pictures of people that were 30 years older than them. And it kept striking me that, you know, you're not allowed to do that. Every time I walk in the stadium, I could get in trouble. The family that sold me their season tickets could get in a tremendous amount of trouble. But the two big standout issues were FC Barcelona did not get $1 of that transaction. And I paid a premium. Yeah, and number right. two, they mm -hmm. had no idea who was sitting in their stadium. And so what, mm -hmm. what sort of struck me was blockchain, uh, NFTs, solve all that. And I had this moment where I thought, you know what, I can't believe that we haven't done this, we haven't figured this out, but why don't we effectively tokenize a seat in a stadium and put it on the blockchain and make it incredibly transparent? And rather than prohibit people from selling season tickets or transferring, let's make it absolutely beneficial and lucrative so that FC Barcelona, in this case, if that exact scenario would have happened, Mac would have been in Barcelona, paid for someone's season's tickets. The person that sold it to me would have made good money because I paid a premium. And without even knowing or thinking about it, FC Barcelona, 10% of that transaction would have been wired by the smart contract into their account. And mm -hmm. they would have mm -hmm. complete visibility who was in their stadium, which in today's world matters a lot. Coronavirus, terrorism, everything else you can think of. Yeah, so yeah. long story short, um, I felt like I was seeing an opportunity. I filed a patent, uh, which is an unusual step for me. But I work with the group that does a lot of the IP work for Square and for Amazon to file a patent around a concept that I call digital seat ownership. And so effectively, mm -hmm. what we're doing is we are helping sports organizations, any sport anywhere in the world, create a net new asset, which is a digital seat. And it is non-fungible in that it has to be tied one-to-one -to, -one 
to a physical seat in a stadium, which means it is inherently limited. If you have a 50,000 seat stadium, you can create 50,000 new digital seats or some you know, smaller number than that. But what's so cool about this uh, concept is a digital seat is an NFT, but it actually is almost like a bucket that you can drop other things in. So you can associate that NFT mm. with season tickets. You can associate that NFT with collectibles so that if you are an owner of the digital seat and maybe you're sitting in North America, but the digital seat is in Barcelona, you can decide to have the season tickets or the individual game tickets sold and you get a percentage of every transaction. It's almost like you're a landlord of that seat. So if someone sits in your seat, you benefit and the club benefits. Mm. If um, something amazing happens at a game, you know, some world record is set or they score 10 goals and they decide to create a collectible moment as an NFT, a video mm. or a picture, mm. they basically can drop it right on top of the digital seat and then in your wallet shows up this new collectible that you can keep or you can sell. So we think we've created a, a really powerful innovation that is to the benefit of uh, clubs and sports organizations, but has a huge kind of game-changing benefit to fans and supporters. And so we really are starting to call it kind of the future of, of uh, fan ownership. So how does a fan actually feel like they're part of what's really happening? You know, they can get financial benefit, mm -hmm. they can get experiences, they can get access to things that no other people have access to just because they own the digital seat. Maybe they can go into a special area of the stadium or they can get access to a digital stream of a game that no one else has access to. So that's kind of the innovation um, we've been working on. And, and yeah, I'm, I mean, you can tell as I start talking about it, I get excited. I'm just like giddy with excitement because I, I believe it's the future. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it seems like there's just so many directions that that could go in, and there's so many different use cases that you're pro we, we probably aren't even, you know, thinking about or imagining uh, today. But I think that idea of having, of creating this community, uh, well, it, it's really interesting, I think, from all perspectives. So it's really interesting from a fan perspective, right? So I'm, I'm sitting here in North Carolina, but I'm, I happen to be a big uh, Boston Red Sox fan, right? So like, it's not feasible for me to go to the games all the time. But at some point, if there's a digital um, representation of Fenway Park, do I own that? And that becomes part of like my identity in, in a similar way that, you know, buying a, a well, uh, here's an example, like my son just got a, um, a signed uh, baseball from Mookie Betts, who used to be the Red Sox best player, right? Like that's a really cool thing. A collect collectible he's got up in his room, probably worth some money. Uh, but it's like a way to really show, um, to show his fandom. Right. So I think from that perspective, from a fan's perspective, I could see uh, certainly it making sense to own something like that, especially if there, if there are benefits to it, um, at some point, like, especially if you end up receiving, as you said, priority access to events or special drops that the team does, um, you know, access to different things. Um, that makes a lot of sense. But then to your point, I think back to that original point that we were talking about earlier w with regards to art, with artists seeing, um, you know, royalty streams on every sale, like 
it seems like a no-brainer for the sports organizations, yeah. right? Um, so they keep getting a cut of their sales. So, um, so how's it going so far? Uh, and kind of what kind of headway are you making uh, so far? And then also, if you wouldn't mind just addressing, like it's a little unclear to me, like if there has to be a tie to the physical seat or if that is like an option. How would yeah, that, how so does it's that a great work? question. So um, one really important thing that you said a moment ago is the reality is most humans on earth do not have the ability financially or otherwise to own a sports organization. You know, that's left for billionaires and sovereign nations. Um, most fans don't have even the ability to purchase season tickets or permanent seat license or any other iterations of that because they're either not physically located in that market and or they can't afford to do so. And so, we're creating a new asset that you can own. It is a digital seat. You can be the only owner of that seat in Fenway Park on earth. Now that doesn't give you the ability to walk into Fenway Park and unhinge a physical seat and put it in your living room, but this new digital <laughs> seat is limited to a very specific physical seat. So it's one-to-one, -one, um, which means if there's 50 million fans on earth, there are only the number of digital seats as physical seats. So there's a lot of supply yep, demand yep. opportunity there. Um, the other thing you just asked, which is really, really, I think, innovative is the answer is you can tie and associate the digital seat with season tickets or game day tickets or not. And the reason that's so important is because a lot of organizations around the world, I know soccer better than, than most sports, but you know, if you go to some of the famous soccer teams on earth, they are generally 100 plus years old. They're multi-generation fans. Those older fans mm -hmm. don't really like change. They don't really want, they don't know what an NFT is. They don't want to think about digital tickets. They like that they're in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about Augusta yeah, and the Masters as well, just as being a golf exactly. fan, like very so similar. One of the challenges these sports organizations have is how do they innovate and reach new fans locally and around the world without upsetting existing fans. And so what we've said is if you have season ticket holders and multi-generational fans, that seat, you can still create a new digital asset and sell it to Greg in North America because that local fan doesn't want it, doesn't care about it. It doesn't give you any rights to the season tickets because someone else owned them. But they could write into the smart contract if that season ticket ever defaults or rolls over, you have the first right of refusal to purchase it. Mm. In other situations, mm. yeah. many sports organizations around the world don't sell out every game, don't have a waiting list, and they have some number of seats or in, the, in a venue that they could create a new digital asset, a digital seat, and say, with that digital seat, you have the opportunity, but not the obligation every year to buy the season ticket or the individual tickets that you want. And after that 30 day period of your first right of refusal, they just roll back mm -hmm, into mm -hmm. however they sell tickets. But anytime someone sits in the seat that you own the digital seat to, you can get 10% of the proceeds. So all of a sudden you're incentivized to tell all your friends, hey, you should go to the games, you should promote it because you're gonna participate as well as the sports organization. So that ability to associate it or not is what's really interesting to a lot of these sports organizations. Whether I've talked to the you know, NBA franchises, NFL, 
NHL, um, you know, international soccer university, it, it's sort of applicable in all of those different categories. So a couple of the things that jump out, one is these are, uh, unique digital assets, right? So, um, they are by their nature inherently limited in quantity. And so to your point, that's pretty interesting from a supply demand perspective. When you start to look at the numbers of some of the fan bases around the world, you mentioned uh, Barcelona. I'm sure there's, I don't know, hundreds of millions of fans around the world for Barcelona. Right. And, and how many seats are in Barcelona's stadium? Okay. So you got a supply demand mismatch there. Same thing goes certainly for all major sports franchises, right? Many multitudes of actual fans versus those who could actually show up and and be in a seat. So there's that kind of uh, uh, scarcity factor. And then you've got the the customization factor, I think, as well is really interesting because that means, again, we've thrown out like three or four use cases, but there are thousands of uh, millions of of potential ways that, that teams could you know, figure out how to, how to use this well, uh, type of asset. And to me, so. you know, a lot of Web 2, some degree Web 1, was driven by, you know, marketing and advertising. And, and I think Web 3 makes all that even more powerful. You know, it's really easy to come up with a use case that says, you know, every digital seat owner who is physically sitting in Barcelona's stadium five minutes before halftime, we're going to drop a digital coupon for... Estrella Dom beer and redeemable with a QR code at the counter. Um, you know, like it's just instant. It goes only to people that you want it to. And so it's things like that where you can really tie it down to a one-to-one level is, is really unique and powerful. Um, and I, you asked earlier about vision. You know, I have this vision of not only the digital seat of a team where you have a massive affinity. You mentioned the Boston Red Sox. Like, of course, you would want to own digital seats of the Boston Red Sox because you're a fan, you're a super fan, and it means something to yep. you. Yep. But if you're a soccer fan, I have this vision of, you know, a year, two years from now, being at a Champions League final in Russia or Turkey or wherever it's being held and having a local restaurant or bar or hotel that the only way you can go to that hotel or bar is if you're a digital seat owner. It doesn't even matter what team. You have to walk in with your phone and show that you're a digital seat owner because it's a club, right? It's a, it's what Bored Apes that you mentioned earlier has done so incredibly well is they've created a community well beyond anything that is a picture or a JPEG. It is only people that are getting access to certain opportunities today own a Bored Ape or own a CryptoPunk. And my mm-hmm. vision is very much, you know, being a digital seat owner is going to mean something beyond your affinity for a team or beyond your financial or other participation with that team. It's you're a part of this very exclusive global community. I love that. Um, my wheels are spinning and I'm just thinking about buying your digital seats and then like passing those down generation to, to generation, you know, that's, well, you, that's you know, I, I, you mentioned, I did the exact same thing. You know, I own MacLackey.eth. Um, yeah. When my daughters were born, you know, I bought their dot coms. I mean, their names is dot coms because I thought, you know, in the future, this may or may not be relevant. But I've owned and continue to pay for their dot coms, even though they don't. 
you're you're much better than me. I only got my son's Gmail. I think when he was born, the firstborn, and uh, the other two, I don't know if but they've gotten any. But that's any exactly right. Is is like this idea is you know you would say I'm a Red Sox fan. I want to own and yeah. control as many digital seats in my family as part of our legacy because we're just going to be fans. Now, if my future heirs decide to sell them because they want the money they need the money more than they yeah. have the affinity. Like you've just handed them something powerful. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah, the other question you ask, uh, is where we are. And so we, um, we've been working, you know, filed, filed patents around a lot of these things, um, just because we think it's really unique and compelling. We've been building out a marketplace and we are literally in first quarter, which we're in the middle of now going to do our Genesis drop, which, all that means in the world of NFTs is, you know, we will have a digital seat um, that is not associated with a team. It's not associated with a sports organization. It is the actual token on our platform that we think will, over time, give you rights and opportunities across everything. Maybe it's the first right for if we do a Boston Red Sox deal, our Genesis token holders are going to have the first chance to purchase or a discount or whatever. We are going to only do 999 of those. Um, most people do 10,000 or more, but we're going to have this kind of black token membership that will launch in the first quarter. And so people are joining a waiting list now. Um, it's dso.co. So digital seat ownership is, is again, kind of the acronym dso.co. Yeah, we'll link to that. Yeah. In the and show so notes people, too. again, I'm telling my friends, you know, could I be wrong? 100%. I am going all in at just about every level, but for someone to buy a Genesis token might be a few hundred dollars. And I, I will assure you, if I could go back in time and buy crypto punks and board apes, I looked at board apes <laughs> five times when it was at, you know, a couple yeah. of ETH and, and just didn't pull the trigger. And now, yeah. you know, it's a couple hundred yeah. thousand dollars to get one. And again, not suggesting that's exactly what will be our journey, but I do think for a lot of my friends and sports enthusiasts and soccer enthusiasts, what an interesting way to participate in Web3 without having to leave your job, do something really dramatic, take money out of your savings, which is um, you only do that if you are crazy <laughs> or you see something other people don't. And yeah. In my life, yep. again, yep. I, I think my wife has thought I was crazy many times because I would sell a company and be <laughs> getting paid well by the acquirer and finally looking like I had some stability and maybe have a normal paycheck. And then I would resign and dump all our money into my next idea and put it all at risk. And, and that's not necessarily advisable, but it's because I, when I see something and I'm convicted, I know what that means. And this is a simple way for people to participate and learn and over time it could be very meaningful for them so that's that's kind of where we are um we'll have a public launch probably in the next 90 days um and the most the easiest way to you know be involved in any way no no need to purchase anything if you don't want to but is just be on that waiting list dso.co so you learn more about it now let me ask you just a technical question do you envision uh, a world where there are teams that have uh, digital versions of their stadiums. And then are you thinking that, um, you would potentially buy that 
by uh, the currency that you would buy that would be a DSO token in the same way that like you would use ETH to buy uh, NFT I'm, on. Um, no, I'm OpenSea. so glad you asked that question because I, I think I'm very biased, but I, I think we've addressed one of the biggest issues, which is the answer is no. The way you purchase DSOs on our platform is with fiat currency. And so you want to own a digital oh, okay. seat in the Red Sox stadium. If we do a deal with the Red Sox is you go on there, yeah. put in a credit card and purchase a digital seat. We did that very intentionally, um, even though we're going to be introducing purchase with crypto. Um, we yep. wanted to focus on users who are really excited to participate and their sports fans and their, their supporters, but they don't want to have to figure out how to purchase ETH and yep. get MetaMask and go to Uniswap. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's a huge barrier and hurdle that we did not want to deal with. So our marketplace is um, designed to be very user friendly and, and no different than you going to Amazon or any other site you go to, you create an account, you purchase, they show up on your dashboard, you can own them and look at them, or you can sell them to friends and you know all of the things that are very, very intuitive and straightforward we've tried to focus on. All of the technology is there. It's built on a private Ethereum blockchain, but you'll never have to think about it or see it unless yeah. you want to. It's all technology enables, yeah. but it does not require you to know or understand all of the stuff that's making it work under the, the screens. I, that's an important point. I think it was, uh, I think it was, might've been Seth Gins from Coin Fund, who I heard him on a podcast with Ted Seides um, uh, a while back on a Capital Allocators podcast. They did a really um, great series, uh, Crypto for Institutions. And he made the point that I think you're making here, which is most people probably don't care about the underlying protocols and all the technology that is backing these blockchains. And ultimately, probably what happens is in a similar way to that, what happened with the internet, what happened with email, all this, all, all this type of technology, that stuff kind of gets abstracted exactly. away in the background, yeah. right? And all the stuff that we were complaining about up front in terms of bad user experience, that becomes a really good, simple, one-click user experience. And you move from uh, being involved in Web 2 to being involved in Web 3 without even really. That's noticing. exactly right. The power of, the power of Web 3 is, is very obvious to me, but I think great technology um, is 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 sort of under the the radar you you don't you don't know it's there it just powers things you know i don't want to mm. so my my father and i my father is a brilliant kind of engineering mind and likes to take things apart and put it back together whether it's cars or you know radios and i always joke around and say i just want to turn the key and the car start i don't need to know why it starts or how it starts or what the engine is and i feel the same way yeah. about technology which is i want to do something I want to own something. I want to take action. And I don't need to know that that was a transaction from Ethereum to blockchain and the smart contract wired. I want to put in a credit card and I want to get wires into my bank account. That's it. You know, so mm -hmm. we we've tried to abstract that stuff away to make it really easier. And there there are other organizations, you know, Dapper Labs with NBA Top Shots, I think, really innovated 
um, in that way. You know, the, the founder of, of Dapper Rome was an advisor and investor in my last business. He's done an amazing job at making collectibles in particular accessible to NBA fans. Um, They've done 880 million in sales yeah. of those things. I'm just looking at uh, the the NFT rankings on CryptoSlam.io. Yeah. It's the it's the number five largest NFT. Yeah, and, he's, and he has there. several. Ever. You know, he he did CryptoKitties. He's got um, a La Liga project. He's got an NFL project. And he, yeah. you know, I mean, he and I are friends. He's a he's an amazing innovator and thinker himself. But what they did that was so compelling with with Top Shot is is making it so that the average fan could buy a LeBron James moment with a credit card. They don't feel like they're doing some web three NFT crazy thing. They just, they want a LeBron James moment and they enable that. So that's, that's been um, kind of our motivation is make it very accessible for the true fan and supporter, which also benefits the sports organization. So uh, I'm curious, like, what kind of reception are you getting from teams at this point? And then are there any other big challenges or hurdles that are keeping you awake at night as you get this thing yeah, off the I think, ground? I think the two, um, the reception has been very good, but limited. You know, we have been very much under the radar. We have not talked about this much. Um, we wanted to get to the point we were close to launch. Um, so I, you know, again, I'm talking about it here. I have not talked about it very much except for to my very tight inner circle. Um, yeah. we've talked to sports organizations mainly to, to learn, you know, what are their challenges that we might be able to solve? We take a kind of a consultative approach. We're not hard selling anything, but what's been an eye opener for the sports organization is that we don't compete. You know, when we talk to an NBA team, for example, the first thing they say is, oh, we have a deal with Dapper. And I said, absolutely. And I know Dapper and I love Dapper. Dapper Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. is a collaborative opportunity with us. Dapper moments can drop right on top of a digital seat. And you have season tickets. We're not going to disrupt those. Mm -hmm. We're not going to tell you to change that. Mm -hmm. We're going to give you the opportunity to attach them or not. But it's a net new asset for you. And, you know, you think about math. You mentioned Barcelona Stadium. Let's call it 100,000. If you took 100 or 50,000, took half the seats of FC Barcelona and you sold a digital seat for $2,000, and I think supply and demand would tell you that if 300 million fans are interested in 50,000 seats, 2,000 might be conservative. That's $100 million tomorrow to an organization as a net new asset that for the rest of eternity, they will continue to participate in financially. So the math is compelling to these sports organizations. Um, but most of the challenge, candidly, is um, no different than what I was challenged by in Web 1 when I was in my 20s talking to Fortune 500 executives. It's just education, you know, and yep. what is yep. this thing? How does it work? And the fact that people have heard a lot about NFTs, they think they're all the same. You know, mm-hmm. uh, NBA mm-hmm. Top Shot collectible of LeBron is the same as an NFT that I'm doing and and they could not be more. Yeah. I think that's probably the biggest hurdle for NFTs right now is just the idea that people have it associated in their minds with crypto punks or top shot or whatever more is collectibles or art where, whereas what it actually is, is technology that enables economic transfer in a totally different way. Exactly. So I, I'm, I'm not, uh, 
disillusioned. I know that's going to be part of our challenge is just educating people, being patient um, with those kind of things. And we'll do, I think we'll do a lot of tests. I'll, I'll go to sports organizations and say, hey, you've got a 50,000 seat stadium. Pick 500 seats. Let's prove it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That would be an interesting, yeah, that'd be an interesting way to do it. I mean, I would think that some owners of some of these teams are pretty forward thinking. Like I think about someone like uh, Mark Cuban, right. And he's oh, yeah. I'm sure I, I don't, I'm sure he's heavily involved in this Absolutely. space already. Right. And, um, and so, yeah, you probably have the full spectrum uh, of sophistication and willingness and interest uh, from yeah. teams um, at this point. But, but once some of them start to do it and they see that to your point, like if you can make a hundred million bucks appear out of thin air and all of a sudden, uh, have a tighter connection with your fan base and know who they are and be able to build something that is an actual like sustainable mm-hmm. community. Uh, once a few of these guys do it, they're, they're all going to do it. Right. Cause they're, they're going to see I, the, benefits. I think as a matter of fact, I, I have a lunch meeting um, just after this with a, um, a large university and the, the fundraising sort of side of the university. I think, universities have an incredible opportunity because it's not one stadium it's football basketball soccer volleyball olympic sports yeah and you know what i went to two different universities played soccer at two different schools um you know do i have an affinity to those schools yes do i support those schools yeah to some degree but it's 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 a donation but if both of those schools came to me purely from a soccer perspective and said hey mac you have a an interest or affinity as an alumni would you like to be one of 5,000 digital seat owners in the soccer stadium that will ever exist in time? That's pretty interesting to me. The money goes to the school. They benefit from it right away. Is it a fundraising mechanism? Is it an athletic booster? Yes, yes, and yes, right? So, so to me, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think there are going to be lots of people that are going to see this and, and it will become something bigger than it is even in my mind because different Sports organizations will say, hey, could we try it for this? Would it also allow us to do this thing that we're trying to solve for? Um, So I'm really excited about where we're headed. I always tell, you know, people I like the market to dictate where I go next. I try to introduce something. I try to introduce it early with my vision. But my vision is loosely held because I think the market is going to tell me where the real opportunities are. And so that's kind of right where we are today. That's awesome. Very exciting. I didn't even think about that, that whole college element. And I'm sure like if we listen back to this conversation in two years from now, three years from now, we're going to be like, you guys were only seeing the tip of the iceberg on this thing, right? Like we're talking about sports teams and, and I'm sure it's much more broad than exactly. that too. Um, so yeah, that's really cool. Really exciting. I mean, I'm fired up for you that you're, that you've found something at this point in your career that you are so enthusiastic about um, and that you want to, pursue with such fervor. Like, I feel that's like really that's cool. a, that your enthusiasm is your enthusiasm's wearing off on I me. Like I can a, tell you that's a backhanded way of saying I'm old. I mean, I know what you're saying, Greg. <laughs> no, you're right. I am. I am really excited. Um, it's been really fun to work on and, and imagine what's possible. And it's it does yeah. it does give me a lot of energy to be in a, a, a space early because I know what that meant for me and my life just being early in web one and, and kind of again in web two, um, it's just really helped me have a, 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 I'm a very fortunate guy because yeah. I was early. And I, I think that opportunity not only is there for me, I see it very clearly in web three, 
for so many people. So I'm, I'm excited for people to embrace it. Okay. And, and, and as we finish up here, I have two more questions for you. One is, uh, is there any advice you'd give to people? So if you're listening to this, you haven't, uh, been as smart as Greg Campion to go in and lose a bunch of money on the constitution Dow or things like that. And you, you're like, okay, this sounds interesting. This it's probably the point where I start, start to need to like get involved here in some way, shape or form. Like what would be your first steps to, to get Yeah, involved? I think, um, you know, for me personally, I've tried to tell people I'm going to be a little more transparent, not only about my, you know, DSO.co project, but other things I'm looking at and doing. So I created a little, you know, newsletter or not a, a like a list, uh, maclackey.com yep. forward slash crypto, where I can just say, hey, I'll try to tell people what I'm working on. But in terms of external resources, um, you mentioned Chris Dixon. I mean, I, I think for most people, one of the best places to start is that Tim Ferriss podcast with Naval and Chris Dixon. It's just so good. You've got three brilliant minds yeah. talking and kind of debating definitions and opportunities. It's on Tim Ferriss's podcast. It's an easy Google search to that. Yeah, I'll link to and that then, in the you show know, notes I, you too. You mentioned yeah. uh, you know, Kevin Rose, who I, I think I said to you before. I mean, he's, a, he's another brilliant thinker, really early, has embraced Web3 all in, in every way, you know, NFTs, cryptocurrencies, um, personal investments, DeFi. So, so he's one mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. sort of recommend people follow. And then again, I think, you know, selfishly, but with no uh, requirements to do anything, if, if people just follow DSO.co and they get on that waiting list, they're going to get emails. And what we're going to talk about is slightly different because it is really about the utility of ownership and participation, not as much about collectibles and going to open sea, you yeah, know, so it's, yeah. it's just a different way to learn. And so those are a couple places I would probably start. Yeah, I think that's great. I'm going to link to a bunch of those in the, in the show notes, as well as some other resources that I've had that were kind of my starting points Perfect. in terms of, you know, getting up the curve. Uh, okay, Mac, last question. Uh, and this can be uh, related to what we have talked about today or completely different. But one question I like to ask folks on the, this podcast is if there's one thing that you have kind of figured out in life to this point um, that maybe others uh, have not figured out yet or could, could use to learn, uh, what would be that one thing? What a great question. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I actually don't think it's related to this. I think it's my my life choice, and I will not belabor the long-winded story. Like you said, maybe if you link to some other podcasts, I've told the story before about the exact moment that I made this decision. But, you know, I, I made a decision in 2000, uh, specifically in, in August of 2000, that I was going to spend time with my family, particularly my, my girls as they were, you know, being born and young daughters, that I wasn't going to accept the trade-offs that everyone around me kept telling me I had to accept, like, you can't be a dad who's super engaged and home every night at five o'clock and coaching the soccer team and carving the pumpkins and be a successful entrepreneur because successful entrepreneurs work 80, 90 hours a week. And I just said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do both. I don't know how I'm just going to do it. And making that decision and committing to it has literally changed my life. And what that means to me is every time I hear someone say, oh, well, you can't do that, or you, that'd be great when you retire. You know, we moved to Barcelona, and I pulled my kids out of school and traveled the world, and a lot of people thought that's because Mac is wealthy. 
If you looked at my net worth over 25 years, one thing you would know for sure is my approach to life did not change and my net worth changed 90% swings. I mean, I was worth millions and almost bankrupt multiple times over 25 years, but I never ever wavered from, I'm gonna live my life, I'm gonna travel, I'm gonna go to my kids play, I'm gonna, you know, so that sort of moment I have continued to prove out to myself that that's the way you do it. And I think a lot of people are just convinced that you have to wait for retirement to travel or you have to yeah. work 100 hours a week to make your business successful. I just I just don't believe it. And I think I've lived it now for since since August of 2000. So. Uh, so, yeah, that's probably the biggest one for me. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I, I love that advice. I think it's a lot of it comes down to, you know, where you choose to place your priorities. And if you know that family is a major priority, the biggest priority, then everything else slots in around that. Um, and so a lot of it to me, it comes down to like, and I don't know, would you agree with this? A lot of it, does it come down to like, do you start there? Cause I'm just thinking about, first of all, that's super inspiring. And I think that's a great message, but you translate that into the day to day, right? Um, what does that mean? Like, do, do you have to say, okay, I'm committing first and foremost to my, to my family and these obligations. And then does it literally come down to like scheduling? This is what I'm going to allow to get on my calendar. This is where, yeah. you know, yeah, the, is that the how practical execution I think is, was where it was mm. eye opening to me is I just decided I was going to do it. Didn't know what it was going to look like. And honestly, mm -hmm. the first couple times that I stood up in the middle of a meeting at 4:45 so that I could be home for a five o'clock dinner, I mean, you could just see and feel the like, oh my gosh, what is he doing? Um, and then <laughs> within a couple of weeks, it was like, huh, Mac's going to leave at 4.45. The meeting still has to happen. Work has to go on. Now, I may come back and work at 8 o'clock at night till midnight, but I had committed yeah, I'm yeah. going to be home for dinner. Yeah. So what happens is the business and your partners and the people around you adjust and actually it got better. Now people, you know, if Mac's in the yeah, meeting... Yeah. Mac's going to talk. Mac's going to run the meeting. Mac's going to be at the whiteboard. But if Mac steps away, who runs the meeting? They figure it out. They become better at running meetings. They come become better at planning. So the, the, the people element, which is everything in every business I've ever had, I mean, all of the success I've had is because of smart people around me. Um, they get better faster. So anyway, I think the what people miss is, oh, if I leave at 445, the meeting's going to fall apart. Maybe the first one does. Two weeks later, it's going to run just as good, if not better, than when you were sitting in it, and your team is now better and more capable. So that's that's the way I did it. Is I just drew a hard line and said, I'm not going to take this trip. I'm going to go home early. I'm still going to do my work. This is not about max slacking. Yep. I, there are plenty of days mm -hmm. I would work till two, three in the morning just so I could go to my daughter's soccer game at four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, but because of that decision everything around it just got adjusted and easier and candidly yeah. better over time. Yeah. I, I, that's a really important point to me. And I think it's, it's applicable in a lot of different parts of life. Cause I think I had a similar experience when a couple of years ago I did an experiment where I said, okay, I'm not going to drink any alcohol for a year. Right. And the, and what I found was the first month, two months or whatever, were pretty difficult, right? Because I would go to friends' houses, I would go to this event, I'd go to that. Everyone's like, oh, you're not drinking? Yeah. You know, like, it was very strange. And then, like, 
maybe like a couple months in, I'd show up at the same friend's house and they'd have like three different non-alcoholic beverages for me. And so my world started to conform and adapt around me to make what I was doing easier because I drew, drew, you know, drew that line in the sand. So I think that lesson of yours is applicable. That's actually a really good example. I had not heard that one, but I think that is exactly the point, which is, and it's not to be selfish or a jerk or anything. It's like, it's your, your life and your prioritizations and you're allowing everyone around you to do the exact same thing. You want to support them and their family or health or whatever's important to them. And that's a great example. Yeah. First couple of times you show up and if you're a person that socially drinks, your friends are going to make fun of you for a time or two or kind of rib you about it. And maybe that, you know, joking around and then they're going to be curious. And then two or three times later, they're going to make it great for you by having things that you like to drink that are non-alcoholic and they're not going to say a word, you know, life just bends. And so you can either choose to bend it in a way that's beneficial to you, or you can just kind of drift through life. And that's what I, I'm terrified of doing for myself. I don't ever want to drift. I want to design and control my life. And, uh, and my experience has said people adjust to that, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love it. I think you've done a heck of a job so far and uh i'm excited to keep following everything that you do um i've been following you for 13 years now i guess so uh i can't wait to see what what happens in the next 13. um okay mac where should people uh find you if they found everything that you said is fascinating as yeah I did so maclackey.com is kind of my personal website and i try to link out to things i'm doing i'm actually literally updating it right now so maybe by the time this is live it'll be updated and pointing to some of these projects and then the other is that DSO.co, which is kind of the current project I'm, I'm going deep on. So, uh, and then on Twitter and all the socials, I'm at, you know, Mac Lackey. It's M-A-C-L-A-C-K-E-Y. Uh, so that's, that's where you can find me. See, he doesn't have a bunch of numbers in those handles because he was early, right? Same thing. Exactly with you. Right. <laughs> all right. Good stuff. We'll link to all that in the show notes. Mac, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks I really appreciate me, it. Hey everyone, it's Greg again. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I think Mac is just fantastic and I really appreciate him coming on the show. Uh, As I mentioned in that episode, I have included links in the show notes to Mac's new project, DSO.co, along with a number of other resources that uh, were helpful for me as I got up to speed on NFTs myself. I'm still learning very much, uh, but these are some of the resources that have helped me to uh, at least initiate that learning process. So check that out if you're interested in diving deeper on that topic. Uh, Also, remember, please, to subscribe to Intentional Wisdom Newsletter. It's one email every other Thursday with the best of what I'm learning from experts just like Mac. Finally, please do leave a rating and a review for the Intentional Wisdom Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really, really does help us to spread the word and to find more amazing people just like you. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you next time.